Turn your Bibles with me to, actually, we're going to run through a bunch of stuff. Let's start at Daniel chapter 1. Now, I'm not going to be moving around too much because I'm a little low energy, so I'm going to be like one of the cool hip pastors and take a seat from time to time and just talk to you. I'm going to try. I'm black, Pentecostal, and have ADHD. We'll see how well I do. Um, Y'all, I wore my skinny jeans today. I forgot my skinny, but I brought the jeans. <laughs> I say that because I couldn't fit these before. Now I can actually fit them. Thank you. I love when married women tell me I look good. It's just an extra boost. You know what? Let me just pray and open us up together and get us started, and then I'll just kind of jump into this. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this house. You know, whenever we pray, we pray together in this family. So y'all help me out, all right? God, I just pray that as I preach this word, that your people will be anointed to receive it, that you'll anoint me to preach it. God, there's so much good stuff in what you want me to share today. And putting you first in our relationships, I pray, Holy Spirit, for conviction. I pray that we would not ignore your conviction today, that you would speak to us about putting you first in all the relationships in our life. We promise to give you the glory, God. I also pray, God, for those who are struggling in their walk with you. God, I pray for personal devotion. Pray for those who are just struggling, struggling to make time, struggling to find the strength and energy. God, would you draw them back into your presence in this season, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Sylvia. I want to talk about relationships today. We've been in a series, uh, first things first. You're good. You're good. Uh, We've been in a series called First Things First, and the goal of this series is that we can set God first in every area of our life. Last week, I preached the message Kingdom First, and talking about the whole meaning of our life is not to build up our own self, our own purpose, our own call. It's to really establish the kingdom. And so if you missed it last week, I encourage you, please, please make sure you watch it online. Hey, and if you ever have to miss service, encourage you, tune into service, tune in, stay checked in. But today I want to talk about putting God first in your relationships. And there are four areas of relationships that we're going to talk about if you're taking notes. The first one is we're going to talk about the business relationships, the employee to employer relationships. The next one we're going to talk about is friendships. How do you put God first in your relationships? How do you develop godly relationships? The third one we're going to talk about is romantic relationships. Yes, a single person is going to talk about romantic relationships. Somebody asked me one time, how can you talk about marriage and counsel and all that stuff? I said, all the scriptures that you have on marriage were written by single people. So I think we're good. The last one we're going to talk about is family specifically. Now I know there are all kinds of relationships and all that stuff, but I kind of want to boil it down to these four and kind of, uh, we, we won't be able to go as heavy as I'd like to, uh, but we're going to try to go and see what God has to say to us because I believe God wants to get things in order. Half of the stress and anxiety that's in our life is not because of warfare, uh, it's because of harvest. What do you mean? Some of the things that we think is uh, warfare is really harvest. We've sown poorly, and now we're reaping poorly. And if you sow into relationships poorly, you'll reap poorly in return. And one of the calls on this house as a ministry, God, since the inception of our church, God's spoken to us about being a family. It's been about relationships. The first even half a year, I think most of our sermons and messages were on having right relationship. Um, it's still sounding real funky, Andrew, if you can help me out with this microphone. Sorry, it's distracting me. Um, 
And so my goal is that by the end of this, you will have some tools onto uh, putting God first in your relationships and prioritizing the Lord in your relationships, but two, that you'll start getting relationships in order. There are some people that are, are, are too close to you. I'm not a cut-off kind of person. I don't like cutting folks off. I just feel like if I keep growing, those who don't will just eventually fall off. But there are some people in your life that are too close to you, and there are some people that are too far from you that need to be drawn in closer. And so we're going to dive into this. Let's talk about employee to employee. Is it okay if I just jump into this? I feel like preaching today. So let's talk about the employee to employee relationship. I first want to talk to employers and business owners, if you're watching. Uh, how do you honor God or set him first as a business owner or an employer? Number one, fair wages. Yeah, we're jumping right in there. Turn your Bible with me to James chapter 5. I love seeing all the folks taking notes. And if you're watching online and taking notes, please tag me when you post it on Instastory. I'd love to see that stuff. James chapter 5. And look at verse 4, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept, lack by, uh, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of, the Sa of Sabbath. I, I love that scripture because what it's saying is that God actually cares about you paying your people well. That a workman is worthy of their wages. And one of the uh, problems that we have is that we have Christian business owners and employers that are acting just as uh, 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 poorly as secular business owners. And so I want to give you an example. One of the things I hate, and I hope to not get political or weird or anything, just kind of run with the theme here. But one of the things I hate is that so many of our waiters and waitresses are dependent on tips because their employers pay them 2 to $3 an hour in hopes that they'll make up for the difference with tips. The biblical way to do that is if they work for you, they are worthy of a particular wage of whatever it's set. Now, I think as a believer, you need to go above and beyond. And we're going to see in a minute that you can actually lose your witness by being a bad employee and being a bad employer. And so I'm starting this off by saying, if you're an employer in here, or you're watching online, a business owner or a manager, you need to be fighting that your people can have fair wages. There, there should, in America, there should be no issue with people working 40 hours a week and still being in poverty. But it's because of corruption. It's because of greed. Um, man, I feel like y'all don't like this message so far. But I, I feel like we need to get this because this is one of the ways that God can make the Christian business owner and employer an example for the gospel. That they actually treat us better than the secular places. The sad reality is that many of us can go work for a Christian company and get treated just as poorly as we would at Applebee's. The next thing you want to be able to do, number two, not only pay fair wages, that's one way to honor God, but you want to not cheat or cut corners. No cheating or cutting corners. No cheating or cutting corners. Let me look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. I love this verse. When I found this verse, I almost lost my mind. I got even convicted in my own right, but Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. To all the people cheating on their taxes, the Lord is not pleased. All the people who only accept cash because they don't want to report to the government, we're going real nitty-gritty today. 
because they don't want to pay the government what they deserve. Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to the Lord what belongs to the Lord. God is not against taxes. It's going to get weird in here in a minute. But, but and let me just throw that out there since we're in this area. Many of you cut corners financially in your personal lives, and you need to stop. The Lord is not pleased with us cutting corners unrighteously. Now, there's enough uh, loopholes in the system within America that you can practically pay nothing in taxes if you know the right people, uh, but I won't go there. <laughs> but I do want to say this in a strong way. We as believers are not the type that when we're doing our taxes as a business owner or an employer, we're not the type to cut corners. We're not the type to cheat the government because we think we deserve more. The third thing I want to say is, your business is meant to bless others. And so number three, the way that you honor God and put him first is that you make sure that the intention of your business is not so that you can have a lot of money. The intention of your business is to bless others. The intention of your business is to bless others. Even if you're just a manager and you're working for a secular company, you need to be there not as a manager, you're a missionary. You're an ambassador. Uh, when you die and, and go to heaven, I promise you, in a thousand years, we will not be talking about your management skills. You are here on assignment. Do you understand that? And so your goal is, is, is to bless others. And if we make this our goal as employers to bless others, uh, I promise you God will open up crazy doors for ministry to happen. Now let's talk about employees for a second. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. The, how do you honor God as an employee? So we just talked about three ways to honor God or put him first as an employer. How do you honor God or put him first as an employee? Number one, Colossians chapter 3, 23 says this, but in all things... Uh, do it as unto the Lord. Number one, be excellent. Number one, point number one, how do I, I put God first as an employee? I need to be excellent. So that's Colossians 3.23, but look at Daniel chapter one. And let me read verses 18. Oh, messed it up. Daniel chapter... What did I say? Daniel chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, now at the end of days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 19, then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before they changed their name, in case you didn't know. Therefore, they served before the king. Verse 20, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. God opened up doors for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel because they were good at what they do. Can I ask you a question as an employee? Do you do the minimum or do you go above and beyond? As, as an employee, well, this isn't my company and, you know, it's whatever. It's like that's not the heart of the believer. The heart of the believer is I'm here to serve. Like Colossians 3.23, even in this, it's, it's unto the Lord. A lot of times when we think of Colossians 3.23 and, and applying that scripture, we, we apply it to ministry. And so as I serve as an usher or as i on the worship team, no, he's saying in, all, in everything that you do, it's unto the Lord. So even as an employee, no matter whether you work in fintech or whether you work as a, cash, a cashier, no matter what it is, you need to be above and beyond, go the extra mile and be excellent. Why? We see here in Daniel chapter 1 that God opened up doors of favor with influential people. Only because Daniel and the guys 
We're 10 times better than everybody else. Do you strive to be more excellent than everybody else? Not in that unhealthy comparison way or prideful, vain way, but because you're a Christian and believer and want to be a light for the gospel, you're saying as an employee, I'm not just going to do the minimum. I'm going to go above and beyond so that I can be a witness. Number two, not only do you want to be excellent, you want to learn how to honor up. Look with me to 1 Timothy. Giving you a lot of scripture today, but we love the word, don't we? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Let as many bondservants are under the yoke, count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. Blas that word. Verse 2. <laughs> can always count on Frank to laugh at me. Uh, verse 2. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Uh, teach and exhort these things. So here in the text, it's saying uh, to, to the people, now it uses the word masters or bond servants and all that stuff, but I want to apply the employer to employee relationship. He's saying in all of your ways, make sure that you honor and that you serve well. Look at verse one there again. Let as many bond servants as are under the yoke, count their own masters worthy of all honor. What do you do when your boss is wicked? What do you do when your boss is unrighteous? You honor them anyway. What do you do when they're full of hell? You honor the hell out of them. See, here's the problem with us. We give honor to people we think deserve it. That is not the heart of the believer. The heart of the believer is that I honor you, not because you deserve it. I honor you because it's who I am. Like, I, I don't want dishonor in me. I don't want you to be able to bring dishonor out of me. But so many of us are gossiping about our bosses and backbiting. So no wonder they don't want to come to church with you. No wonder they don't want to know anything about your faith. I didn't expect this to be such a hard word, but I guess it's going to be one. So just buckle your seatbelts. But here, according to Scripture, we've been called, according to 1 Timothy chapter 6, we've been called to make sure that we honor those who are up. And it says, especially for those who are believers. It says, now the Bible talks about this all throughout the New Testament about showing favoritism uh, to believers. But when you find believers, it says treat them even extra special. So not only are we called to be excellent, not only are we called to honor up. Last point in terms of how to, be, uh, how to place God first as an employee. Number three, be a light. I don't have a scripture for this, but I do have a point to make. I need you to change the way that your brain works. The way that your brain works is very compartmentalized naturally. And so you think about your church situation, you think about your work situation, and then you think about other situations. What I need you to begin to do is to see yourself, number one, pri primarily as an ambassador for the gospel. You are primarily, and now that you're a believer, if you're a believer, you are an ambassador for the gospel. If you have that mindset, you will work differently. If you have that mindset, you will naturally be a light. And I want to encourage you. There's a scripture, and I, I don't know where it is right now off the top of my head, but it says, having this light, should we hide it under a bushel? No. Some of you are afraid to be Christians at your job. I had a man come to me and said, Pastor Dahl, I've been working at this job for four years, and nobody knows I'm a Christian. I said, it's because you're not. I think I said, it's probably because you're not. <laughs> I was a little nicer. Uh, he looked offended, and I, I said to him, I said, if the room was completely dark, and I take a simple light, just a small faint light, I promise you, you'd be able to see that light. The question is, are you intentionally choosing to be a light in your workplace? 
What does that look like? Because I know you can't just get up there and bring your Bible and just preach at everybody, but what you can do is invite folks to lunch. What you can do is uh, ask people to come and hang out with you. We got to, Christians, come here. We got to learn how to be normal. We, we can't just walk around speaking in tongues and having a prophecy for everybody. Sometimes we have to learn how to treat people uh, well. We have to learn how to take them out. Because I promise you, more deliverance has happened in this house over dinner tables than has happened over altar calls. And I'm not taking away from the power of the altar call. But what's the point of all the light gathering on Sunday if we're not going to spread it out to the world? And so you want to honor God. You want to put God first in your, in your relationship with your boss and with your coworkers. You need to be a light. Is that your mindset, or are you there for the paycheck and the benefits? Are you there because it fulfills your purpose? That's all well and good, but the primary reason why God's put you there, somebody say this with me, say assignment. You're on assignment to reveal the heart of Jesus. Let's talk about friendships. (laughs) This is going to be a fun one. I want to talk about friendships because a lot of us have struggled so much with isolation. We've struggled so much with seclusion and setting ourselves apart, and it's in that place that the enemy's been beating us down. And to make it worse, we don't reach out to others. We don't nurture our friendships. We nurture our feelings. We nurture everything else, but we need to start nurturing friendships. The first thing I want to say is that every deep and meaningful relationship that you will ever have, whether it's with your pastor, whether it's with your friend, whether it's with the Lord, every deep and meaningful relationship that you will ever have will always require some level of, I'm going to say a bad word, vulnerability. It is scary. You can't control it. You can't choose when it shows up. And I think this is why a lot of us don't step into new relationships. For some of you, this is your first time, being at this church is your first time having black friends. Yeah, don't look at me like that because I know. For some of you, this is your first time having Asian friends or white friends because you've, you've been given a platform to do that. I think a lot of times we stick with friendships that look like us, that act like us because it requires less vulnerability and less intentionality. But if you're going to develop the kind of friendships that honor God and that fulfill the the soul, you're going to have to practice some level of vulnerability. I need you to understand that we are all hardwired for relationship. Nobody was ever meant to live alone. God comes down to earth. He creates the world with the words of his mouth. The only thing that he created with his hands and got dirty doing it was you and I. That's a whole different sermon that I'll preach on a different day. But after he makes Adam, he looks at Adam and says, it is not good for man to be alone. Adam's got a bunch of dogs. He's a cat person. He's got animals. He's naming them. But God looks at him and says, it's not good enough. And I, and I say that kind of funny, but I need you to hear this because I'm starting to see this trend where people are giving up on people and humans and they're starting to make best friends with animals. Because it hurts too much. There's too much risk. That's not what we've been called to do. We've been called to push past the pain, to heal and develop good friendships. Adam was created, and after Adam was created, God looked at him and said, it's not good for man to be alone. We use that for marriage conferences. That's not a marriage conference scripture. And and here's the problem, because it sets us up to believe that vulnerability can only be practiced in romantic relationship. This is really good. And we, a lot of us subconsciously have this mindset that, man, when I get married, then they'll see me for who I am, and I'll find somebody who knows me. Why don't you find that in friendships? Why don't you stop looking at every girl as your potential wife, every guy as your potential husband, 
and start looking for opportunities to be vulnerable to develop relationships. You and I are hardwired for relationship. It is not good for man to be alone. And I need you to understand something, that this new theme in our culture of hyper-independence is demonic. <laughs> Let me say it again in case you were wondering if I said that. Uh, this new level of hyper-independence that this generation is practicing, that is not from the Lord. I don't need anybody. First of all, it's not true because you're still depressed. You're still messed up. You're secretly burning inside for relationship. We've not been called, write this down, we've not been called to be dependent and we've not been called to be independent. We've been called to be interdependent. What does that mean? It means I could do this on my own, but I'm choosing to do this with others. And it's in there that our soul begins to get filled. The deepest need for every believer, for every person, whether you're a believer or not, is for connection. What is connection? I define connection as being seen and known fully. That's our deepest thing. That's why when you sit with somebody and, you know, some of you I've sat down with you and the Lord will start speaking to me prophetically and you'll just start crying like, what the heck? I just, I feel so known. Actually, as a matter of fact, we had a couple weeks ago, my pastor came and preached and he prophesied over a visitor who happened to not be a believer. And afterwards, she's, she's just crying and weeping. And she goes, how does he know all this stuff? I feel, I feel so known. How does he know all this stuff? That is our deepest hunger. Our deepest hunger is to be seen and to be known. But it will not happen if you don't choose to be vulnerable. Some of you don't have the friendships that you want because you've not taken the risk that is necessary. Look at Ecclesiastes. I haven't said that word in a long time. That felt weird coming out of my mouth. You need to preach from that book more. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I was feeling a little weak before I preached, but I, I got my strength back. Leventi, I'll try to behave and stay still. But as you see right now. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Let's read verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Let me stop there for a second before I continue. One of the reasons you need to develop healthy friendships is because you and I are going to go through times that are hard. And we're going to mess up. And we need somebody to be strong when we're weak. I know you believe you're going to always have it together, but there's going to be a time where you get discouraged, where you fall, where you mess up, and you're going to need somebody to be strong where you're weak. That's what the scripture is saying here. Look at verse 11. Again, if you two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a, watch this, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I thought that that was interesting that that's how that verse ends when it's just been talking about two and then it brings in three. I think it's because God is trying to send us a secret message. He's trying to say that the way that you and I as believers develop healthy relationships, whether it's with an unbeliever or another believer, is that we have to have God in the mix. We've got to have God in the mix. So many of our friendships are void of God. They're based on work relationships or based on all these other things. Every, let me just be bold here. Can I be bold? I asked permission, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I personally believe, I have this conviction, that as a believer, every one of my relationships needs to be founded on God. Now, not all my friends are Christian. Some of them are Muslim. I have friends who are gay. I have friends who don't want anything to do with Jesus. They don't know it, but the foundation of my relationship with them is Jesus. It's what helps me to love them. It's what helps me to see them. It's what helps me to forgive. 
that my foundation of every relationship is Jesus. I, I like something that Pastor Andrew shared a couple uh, months ago at our leadership meeting. He talked about taking inventory of your friendships. And he kind of used this analogy, and I love it. He talks about the uh, outer courts. There, there's the inner courts. Then there's the holies of holies. I, I, I want to bring this out because not everybody is deserving of your deepest level of vulnerability. Now, I wish, and I think that that's one of the things, and just pause into that thought, I promise I'll come back. I think that, not I think, I know that we lost some stuff in the garden, and Jesus came to restore what we lost in the garden. One of the things that I believe that we lost in the garden is the ability to be vulnerable without shame. When sin entered the world, all of a sudden shame entered the world, and they knew that they were naked. They were naked before they messed up. What was the difference? Something shifted for all of humanity where now we have shame because of our vulnerability. Is this making sense to anybody? And, and so I say the ultimate goal is that we can be vulnerable with everybody. That's the ultimate goal. And, and the, the glorious heavens, I promise you, nobody's not going to be vulnerable. We're all going to be vulnerable in heaven. But it's not possible here on earth because not everybody can handle your level of vulnerability. So going back to the example that I was talking about, we talked about the outer courts. The, uh, these are the people um, that you kind of just know, you go to church with them, you know, you see them at work and kind of kick it, but you don't really kick it outside of that venue or maybe you do here and there, but they're not deep relationships. And then you have the inner courts, which these are more of your closer friends. You see them more often, think of your small group or different folks that you see more repetitively. And then you have your holies of holies, uh, which are your, your two or three folks, or if you can get two or three, you're a blessed person. But you're two or three folks that just know everything about you. They know you're bad. They know you're good. There's nothing that you can tell Pastor Andrew about me that he would not be surprised. Like, it, it, there's nothing you can share with him, and he'd be surprised. All of it, he, because he's part of my holies of holies. And I've taken inventory, and this is important. Write this down. Take inventory of your friends and why they are your friends. Take inventory of your friendships and why they are your friendships. I, I, I believe that the way that we honor God and put him first in our friendships and relationships is that we make sure he's the foundation of all of them. Do you have friendships that are void of God? Do you have friendships where God never comes up? Uh, let me think about it this way. Think about um, Pastor Andrew and Sarah because they're the first married people I see. Uh, Pastor Andrew, how long have you been married? One year, a little over one year, right? Oh, it's almost, oh shoot, yeah, it's almost, it's coming up on one year. Awesome. Make us a baby. Um, <laughs> just thought I'd throw that out there. Um, if you hung out with Pastor Andrew for a couple years, and then one day you met Sarah out of nowhere, and you were like, oh, this has been my wife for a few years, you'd be like, uh, you didn't mention her once? <laughs> but how many of us do that with the Lord? Yeah, you didn't see that coming, did you? How many of us have relationships with people who are going to hell and we never attempt to share the gospel? Listen, I need you to hear the seriousness of this. This is not a fairy tale. This is not some figment of our imagination. There is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And those who have not placed their faith in Jesus will not spend eternity in heaven with that urgency. That should put more intentionality into our friendships. And I'm not talking about making your friendships a project. I have friends who are not believers and may die unbelievers, but it's not going to be my fault. And they're not my projects 
They're not people, every time I see them, I'm just, oh, Jesus! <laughs> it's like, bro, we're just ordering hamburgers. It's like, I know, I just I want to get my chance in there, right? It's like, no, then you get all weird and nobody wants to be friends with you anyway. You're just religious. But if we can get to the place where we are sincere in our friendships, and, and maybe, maybe Jesus doesn't come up because we don't have a strong enough conviction in our walk. I can't help but to talk about Jesus. Like, I promise, it's not because I'm in ministry. I'm in ministry because I'm obsessed with him. It's not the other way. It's not the other way. You can't talk to me long. We can talk about food. I'm promising you it's coming back to the bread of life. (laughs) We're going to talk about Jesus. Why? Because he's my everything. He's the center of my attention. He's the thing I wake up thinking about, and he's the thing that I go to sleep thinking about. But maybe, and, and let me say this, and let me put this out there. I would rather you, now do both, but I would rather you talk to God about your friends than you talk to your friends about God. Because God can do more than you could ever do. Now, that's not to say to not look for opportunities, because we're looking for opportunities all the time. And you need to be looking for opportunities in your friendship, looking for opportunities to share the gospel, to invite folks to church, to whatever it is. But if you don't have the mindset that the foundation of all my friendships are God, you won't even look for those opportunities. Question becomes, how do you build good friendships? Healthy, God-centered, or God-honoring friendships. Number one, Admit that you have a need for friendship. Admit that you have a need for friendship. I was talking to Jay Choi, and I almost called you Pastor Jay. That felt good. Okay, we'll see what the Lord does there. Um, (laughs) He got all nervous. I was talking to him, and I was saying, what do you think are some of the reasons why people um, don't want to admit their need for friendship? And he, he gave me these two reasons. I thought they were powerful. Number one is fear of rejection. And number two is pride. Fear of rejection and pride. We, are, we, we would rather be isolated because the pain of isolation is less than the pain of rejection. That's where vulnerability comes in. You, and, and can I say this? You don't get to choose before it happens that people will reject you. I don't know if you understood that. But some of you make horrible assumptions about humanity. I mean, humans aren't the best, and you can see that by watching the news. But humans are not as bad as you think they are. Some of you just need to start giving people a chance. And so I believe fear of rejection and pride get in the way of us being able to admit that we need friendships. And they'll tell you at an AA meeting that the first step to recovery is admitting the problem. You have to admit that you're lonely. You've got to admit that you're alone and you need friendships. Number two, you've got to learn how to show up. Some of you don't have healthy friendships because you don't show up. You don't show up to small group. You barely show up to church. Oh, man, I couldn't find community at Collide. You didn't try. Can you, I get one amen or something? I feel, I feel like I'm by myself. I, I see this happen in the history of my church relationships that people come and they show up for Sunday, but they don't show up for anything else. They don't show up for, and I, and I don't mean just physically showing up. I mean being present with people. Learning how to show up. When, when you have a, a date with somebody to go out for coffee, don't cancel it because you're feeling tired. Overcome the tiredness because your soul needs to press in. You got to learn how to show up sometimes. Now, here's the scary part about showing up. We don't know how people will respond to us showing up. That's not in your control. Number three, learn how to reach out. Learn how to reach out. Now, when you heard me say reach out, what you thought is, man, when I'm going through bad times, I need to learn how to reach out. Not just bad times. You got to learn how to reach out when it's good times, too. 
Some of you are great at reaching out when it's sad times because you like the attention. <laughs> hmm. But sometimes it's vulnerable to share good things because how will they respond to my good days? Will they be as excited as I am about my new job? Will they be as excited as I am about my new relationship? Don't just share the, the bad things. You got to learn how to share the good things. Learn how to reach out. Number four, this is a big one. Practice boundaries. You know what the Bible calls that? I kind of put in my notes, I put a slash to practicing boundaries. You know what the Bible calls it? Guarding your heart. I'll, I'll talk more about this heavily when I talk about families. But some of us have, have not honored God because we think everybody deserves access to all of who we are. And so we're tired, we're burnt out, now we're depressed because we've given more than we had to give. You have to learn how to say no. Everybody say no. Good. Didn't hurt nobody. Nobody died. They'll be mad, but they'll get over it. And if they don't, that's not the relationship that God's called you to. You have to learn how to guard your heart. With that being said, because some of you are messing up relationships because you don't communicate offense. Communicating offense is a way of guarding your heart. Sometimes people hurt you because they don't know what hurts you. Sometimes people are not there for you because you haven't taught them how to be there for you. So when it comes to honoring God in our friendships, we have to learn how to be honest, how to set boundaries, how to guard our heart, how to protect our space. I love what Brene Brown says, who's a researcher around vulnerability. She says, people who practice boundaries actually statistically learn how to love better. See, when you love because it's not really love if people can take from you. Here's what Jesus said in a conversation with Pilate, uh, he, or Pontius Pilate. They were having a conversation, and, and he said, I'm going to take your life. And Jesus said, you can't take my life. I lay it down. you got to learn how to be in control of what you give and what you take. But some of us have not gotten that strength up or built those muscles up to be able to say, hey, I, I know you didn't mean it like this, but you said something, and that really hurt my heart. And what happens is, because you tell yourself, it's not a big deal. I'll just let it go. It starts building up. They keep doing it from time to time, and then you explode. No, don't say amen. I know who I'm talking to. I'm talking to all of y'all. Yeah, I, I see this happening so many times, and we mess up relationships, or, or what we tend to do, and it's sad because Christians do this, is when we've had enough, we just ghost them. I'm just out. And we have a lack of loyalty and commitment to relationships that God's called us to. All right, that point didn't go over well. Let me try point number five. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Point number five, learn how to make covenant. We need covenant relationships. Are you getting anything tonight? First Samuel chapter 18, and we're gonna, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Now to set this up for you, uh, Saul is in rebellion, and he's trying to kill David, and his son is named Jonathan. He's got this son named Jonathan who's supposed to be next to the throne. Jonathan has become friends with David who you and I know will become king soon. With that said, let's read verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 18. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now, let me stop here for a second. A lot of people will use this scripture to say that David and, and, and Jonathan had a homosexual relationship. Foolishness. The problem why people think that is because we don't imagine people being able to knit their soul together outside of a romantic relationship, but there is a such thing as soul ties. 
Come on, talk to me. There is a thing as soul ties. And soul ties doesn't just come from sex. It comes from unhealthy relationships as well, which we talk about. Some of you have unhealthy soul ties with your parents. You have unhealthy soul ties with certain friends. Um, all right, let me try verse 2. Saul took him that day. I'm reading down to verse 4. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. That verse right there, then Jonathan and David made a covenant. I want to talk about intentionality in relationship. When it comes to those who are in your holies of holies, remember what I talked about a moment ago? Those folks who are in your inner circle, these are your ride or dies. These are the people who are going to help you hide the body. <laughs> if Lisa was here, she'd be like, amen. <laughs> I know she's amen and online. <laughs> With those people who are in and have you DTR'd yet? What's DTR? It means determining the relationship. A lot of times we use that around romantic relationships. And don't be weird with people because then it gets all awkward. You, hey, Jay Choi, can I DTR with you? That's, that's weird. Don't, don't do that. But what needs to happen is that those who are in your inner circle, you need to learn how to have intentional conversations about who they are to you and who, who you are to them. I've done this several times uh, with different friends where I've said, hey, you're my brother. Even when you get on my nerves, I'm going to stay committed to you, and I'm not going to be done with this relationship until you're done with this relationship. I have those kind of relationships in my life that I've communicated with intentionality. And it's so important that you find, and now, now some of you who are going to dive into looking for friends, let me tell you, you're not, it's not going to happen overnight. You're going to have to get healthier. Some of you are at a stage where you need to get healthy so that God can send healthy people into your life. The reason he's not sending healthy people is because you're going to run them out anyway. Learn how to make covenant with certain relationships and lean into those covenants. Uh, I, I suggested to somebody not so long ago, I said, during the fast, I want you to find somebody, a, a sister in the Lord, and I want you to just meet up with them and just pray together in one, one hour a week just to be intentional about that relationship and to grow strength in that. I think many of us need to do that. Number six, the last point in this section, pray for your friends. That's how you put God first in your relationships. Learn how to pray for your friends. Why do you want to learn how to pray for your friends? Number one, this puts a spiritual demand on your friendships. By you praying for your friends, I promise you the Spirit of the Lord is going to open up your eyes and you're actually going to see them with the eyes of the Spirit, not just natural eyes. You're going to see who, who they are and who God calls them to be. Look at Proverbs chapter, I can't even read my own writing, 27. I hope. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 27 verse I think that's 17 if not I'll make up a scripture and pretend like it's in there yeah that's the right one Proverbs chapter 27 verse 17 as iron sharpens iron so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend another reason you want to pray is because it starts putting that spiritual demand but it starts requiring of you to get sharpened and to do some sharpening. Now here in the, in the text that we just read, it says iron sharpens iron, and it's relating that to good, healthy, godly friendships. But can I, can I paint a picture for you? Because when we see that, when we picture that in our mind, it's a gentle, kind of calm thing. But have you ever seen iron sharpen iron? There's flames everywhere. And it's okay to fight. Come on, come here. I'm going to give you permission. Because many of you think, oh, this can't be a friend because we have too much confrontation. You are two completely different people learning how to join in in a relationship. You're going to have some friction. You're going to have some hard times. Stop looking for the exit in relationships that God's called you to. Yeah. 
because it's hard, because it gets rough. The question you have to ask yourself is, has God given me the grace for this, and has he called me to this friendship? Because if so, I need to stay for the sharpening. And if I'm a good friend, I need to do some sharpening. I, I'm, I promise you, if you, let me, Kelly, if you let me walk around with boogers in my nose and my breath smelling, we are not good friends. You need to tell me that I'm off. And some of us are, are afraid to have that kind of relationship because we haven't dived into covenant relationship. But if we're going to honor God and put him first, we have to have friendships that develop us spiritually, not just career-wise. The last verse I'll give you, and we won't turn there for sake of time, Job 42 verse 10. It says that God turned Job's situation when he began to pray for his friend. What would happen if you took your eyes off of your stuff and you start putting it on your friend's stuff? Some of you are depressed just because you're too self-focused. Let me use a different word, too self-absorbed. You're not built to just think about you. <laughs> Do you thinking about me all day will have me, you, and this whole church depressed. Because I promise you I'm flawed. Don't say amen. Don't, don't say amen. But I promise you, I got a lot of stuff to work on, and I find new stuff every day. But if I set my eyes on the Lord and I set my eyes on serving others, I promise you, a lot of joy comes from being fulfilled in that. All right, let's, let's talk about romantic relationships. I got 15 minutes, so let's see if I can get through romantic relationships and talk about family. It's going to get nitty-gritty here. Buckle your seatbelts. Look at your neighbor say, get ready for this word. <laughs> Let's talk about dating. <laughs> Somebody said, "Let's not." Cuffing season is over. You either got a boo, or you don't got a boo. Some of you got a real boo, like as in scary. Um, <laughs> but I won't go there. Um, I'll let the Lord reveal it to you. Uh, I want to talk about the difference between dating and courtship. Now, this is kind of how I define it, and there may be some different connotations to this with other people teaching it. But the way I define dating and courtship, I want to give you some freedom because I believe many of us were raised in a church expression that put too much weight on dating. We put too much heaviness on dating. And we felt like as soon as we went out to coffee with somebody, we got to get married to them because we're Christian. And so we put pressure. And, so, and then we don't date because dating is bad. Listen, you need to shop around a little bit. As your pastor, I'm giving you permission to shop around. Shop around as a godly person. <laughs> Listen, don't be looking for eyes, thighs, breast, and the rest. Look, look for what God wants. That was good. That off the top of my head. <laughs> this is what happens when I let my brain talk. But here's how I define dating and courtship. Dating is a time of fun. It's time to get to know each other. Let's hang out. Let's go out. Like, I'm not committed to you. You're not committed to me. But we're going to see if we click or if there's something there. We're going to have fun. Go on a couple dates. Go on several dates. Practice. Don't let your wife have to be the one who has to fix you. Let somebody else fix you first. <laughs> All the wives and husbands said amen. All right. Um, here's how I define courtship. Courtship is when you start getting more serious. It's when you say, no, 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 I think, I think there's a possibility this might be a one. So I'm, I'm not dating anybody else. I'm singularly focused. At the same time, I'm giving myself grace and permission that if this isn't from God, I'm not stuck in this relationship. Does that make sense? 
I want to say that because some of us need to be free because we, we get into these relationships and we feel, oh, it's not working out or I feel like this isn't what God has for me. Oh, but I got to honor God and honor people and get stuck and then get married to somebody I don't like and spend 30 years with somebody I can't stand. Hope that the kids are enough distraction so that we don't have to deal with each. Is this, like, you see what I'm saying? And so we got to free ourselves up to date. I want Calice City Church, go out and date. Y'all are good looking. Like, people who come to our church, they say, you got some good-looking people. I say, yeah, I'm trying to get married so I could double my church. Um, <laughs> but go out and date. But when it comes time for courtship, the questions around there become, like, is this somebody who has potential for me to be with? Is this somebody that I can see myself with honoring God for the rest of my life? Now, with that said, how do I put God first in my dating relationship? Let's talk about dating first. Number one, don't date unbelievers. Yeah, I didn't think I was going to get an amen, so let me give you a scripture to back it up. Second Corinthians, because some of you are dating evangelistically. Second Corinthians, because I've heard this story since I was a youth pastor. Oh, oh you know, the Lord's, the Lord's going to get him saved. I, he's going to use me. Not if you don't get out of the way. You're not the Savior. He is. And, and just to top it off, I'm going to give you a scripture that if you're dating somebody who's not a believer, you're coming against the will of God. You don't have to pray, is this God's will or not? It's, he's already written it. <laughs> it's so <laughs> Y'all are real nervous in this house. Are y'all dating unbelievers? Y'all making me, <laughs> y'all looking real scared. And can I say this? Let me, before I even, let me read the scripture first. First Corinthians, first <laughs> ain't nobody going to share this message. Be like, nah, this ain't the one you want to listen to. First Corinthians, or no, Second Corinthians, I was right. Second Corinthians. <laughs> Y'all stop distracting me. <laughs> Chapter 6, let's look at verse 14. <clears throat> Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? It is not the will of God for us to be unequally yoked. Now, let me give you a couple of caveats there. Not only is it talking about not being with somebody who's not a believer, but some of you think, oh, well, they go to church. So do the chairs. Doesn't mean they have a conviction in walking with Christ. You and I, let's stop playing this game for a moment. Let's stop pretending like we don't know. Let's stop pretending like we don't want sin more than we want to live rightly before the Lord. Here's my concern. Look at me for a second. All across this room, I want you to hear what I'm saying. As a single, I'm 35 years old, I'm good looking, man of God. Thank you, Frank. I was waiting for it. You knew it. Uh, but everybody look at me for a second. There is nothing more attractive than a woman of God. As a man of God, nothing about what's in the world attracts me. What are we going to talk about? 401k plans? I, I mean this. And, and maybe some of us have gotten comfortable with the idea of playing around on dating apps and getting with unbelievers because we actually aren't walking in true conviction. I think another reason why we end up dating unbelievers and settling and not waiting for what God has for us is because we don't trust God in the area of our relationships. Let me say that point one more time because I need that to hit home. Do you trust God with your future relationships? Or do you feel like you need to make it happen? And I know all the lies that we believe. I've heard them all. I'll turn, he'll get saved, all that stuff. Just find me a scripture and I'll, I'll back you up. I've heard people say, I'm praying about it. Keep praying. Just make sure you obey God's word. All right. That was a rough three minutes. Let's see if we, we can get out of that little rut, Karen. Are you with me, Karen? You're married, so you're probably with me. All right. 
married man of God. All right. So number one, don't date unbelievers. Here's number two. Honor your purity. Stop having sex. <laughs> I'm not talking to you, Sarah and Andrew. <laughs> I know I looked at y'all, but I, I just try to make eye contact with the whole room. <laughs> y'all make babies, all right? Be fruitful and multiply. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. We're going to read through 20. Flee! Yeah, I want you to hear it. Because that's the, that's the emphasis that the scriptures is given here. It's not giving this, look at me for a second. When we read this text, I want you to hear what it's saying when it's saying flee. It's not saying be passive. No. Oh, I feel this in my heart. Somebody needs to hear this. Flee. Flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Are you fleeing from sex as an unmarried person? Or are you giving yourself more permission to cross lines that you're already convicted about? I, I got in trouble with a girl that I was dating because she wanted to make out, but I said, making out is too much for me. If we make out, I'm promising you we're making a baby. And some of you refuse to be honest with yourself. And so you keep falling into certain traps. You keep spending time alone late at night. You keep touching where you shouldn't be touching. And let me throw this out there for the folks who are not dating, but you're single and you've got issues around sexual immorality. Take your laptop out of your room. Put some accountability software on your phone. Well, it doesn't take all that. Flee from sexual immorality. When I, when I started getting, many of you know my testimony that I was grossly addicted to sex. I had had sex with over 200 people, and I was trying to get free from pornography. And you know what I did? I, I had accountability software. We had this thing called Triple X Church back in the day, and you can make five people your accountability partners, and they would see if you went to www.shouldn'tbehere.com, and then they would call you up. Now, I was so serious about it that I made sure my pastor was one of them, and I made sure that my spiritual mother, a woman, was one of them. Those were some interesting conversations. But I was so desperate. I didn't, I moved my computer out from my bedroom and I put it into my living room so that every time I'm on it, it's in the public because I was not going to be passive about being pure. This generation, because we've allowed the systems of this world to infiltrate the church, we live sexually immoral because the world says that it's okay. You got to test drive it. I was sitting at a table and let me tell you, the world wants what we have. I was sitting at a table with a bunch of heathens. They were all going to hell without Jesus. And we were talking about relationships and sex. And they knew I was a pastor, but the whole time they were talking, I didn't say anything because I knew nobody would want to hear my opinion because no sex. <laughs> and they start talking and they weren't believers. They, Man, you, you got to test drive it. Even the women were like, yeah, you got to test drive because if the sex isn't good, then you're not going to want to stay married. And I was like, y'all are a bunch of idiots. I'm going to be quiet and let the spirit of ignorance take its place. And then all of a sudden they looked at me and they said, well, what do you think, Dale? You're a pastor. And I said, well, here we go. I said, well, you guys, I've had a lot of sex, first of all. And they were shocked by that because they don't think pastors have hormones, but we do. Um, I said, but I don't feel the need to test drive any woman because I find them to be way more valuable than anything I could buy on a car lot. I said, on top of that, there's not much that I can give to my wife that I can't give to anybody else. But when I get married, I want to be able to say like a diamond hidden preciously that I saved this for you and only you. 
they were all looking at me like, You're not a cheap piece of meat. And you're not the fulfillment of somebody else's sexual desires. You've been called by God to live in purity. And if you're not fighting for purity, friend, you're going to fall. Please, please hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Because I'm talking to pastors, even watching online, I'm talking to pastors who are preaching on Sunday and sexing by Sunday night. I've been in services where I've watched people setting up sexual engagements right in the middle of service with no conviction because nobody's talking about sex. We're just having it. It's time that we get back, and I know this is old school, but we got to get pure again. Pornography is not okay. Masturbation is not okay. Having sex outside of marriage is not ordained by God. It's compromise and sin. Number three. Not only do you want to not date unbelievers, you want to honor your purity, but number three, date in the light. Date in the light. I watch too many people who date in dark. Oh, I don't want anybody to know about my relationship because I don't want them to mess it up. I don't want them to have anything to say about it. A couple things. Number one, either your community is wrong, so you're in the wrong community where you can't date in the light safely, or two, you're going away from what God's called you to, which is the counsel of multitudes, which brings wisdom. Let me say this. Ladies, look at me for a second. Let me give you some good godly advice from a godly man. I don't know why I'm looking at this section. There's ladies over here too. Y'all catch this. Um, Trying to figure out a nice way to say this. No, let, let me not say that. Let me not say that. Let me put it this way. Date in the light for accountability purposes. Yeah, I will say it. Ladies, listen to me. If you want to know if the man is right for you, bring him around some other men of God. There are things we can see that you can't see. And the same goes the other way around. Fellas, bring him around some women of God. Well, I don't have any women of God. Find some. (laughs) And, And tell them ahead of time, I want you to check them out. Tell me what you think. If we'll do that, I promise you, these are safeguards to get us in the relationship that God's ordained us to have. God wants us to be in fulfilled marriages. He just doesn't want us to be in the wrong one. Okay. I feel your little fiery darts. I ain't scared of none of y'all. <laughs> Brought my own car, drove myself. Let's talk about marriage for a minute. I'm going to run through these just for the sake of time because I really want to land on family as we get ready to close in a bit. How do I put God first in my marriage? Number one, learn how to forgive quickly. Um, I think it's Ephesians 4, verses 26 through 27. No, it's actually a different scripture. It's in there, and I forgot to write it down. But it talks about not letting your anger uh, settle in the night. I want to encourage married people, don't go to bed angry. Or, let me put it differently, because sometimes you can't change how you feel or your emotions. Don't. Go to bed without settling what you're angry about. You want to go to sleep in peace. And so learn how to forgive quickly. Number two, don't withhold or withdraw. Don't withhold or withdraw. Write down this verse, Job chapter 6, verse 14. And I actually want to look at this verse. I know I'm kind of going over time, but I want you to hear this because I thought this was a cool verse when I saw it. Job chapter 6, verse 14. 
to him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend, even though he first, uh, even though he, uh, let me read it from, I actually want to read it from the New Living Translation, because I like that translation. Verse 14. One should be kind to a fainting friend, but you accuse me without any fear of the Almighty. In the original translation, what it's telling us is that if you do not treat uh, those well in your life, uh, the fear of the Lord is the issue, right? So let me say it differently because I'm getting a little discombobulated. The, the text that I kind of studied through or read there, it's kind of saying that a, a lot of times you're tempted to withdraw in times where you feel like you need to reserve. But the scriptures are letting us know, don't withhold. Don't withhold kindness. Sometimes married people, you start having fight and you're like, well, I'm letting them feel my energy. I'm not going to touch them. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm going to serve them his plate. I'm going to be, and I see a lot of married people do this. I'm going to be polite but cold. Scriptures are clear. Don't withhold. Number three, spice it up. Some of y'all who've been married a little while, learn how to have sex differently. Yeah, spice it up. (laughs) Why y'all look so nervous? Y'all never heard about sex? That's how all y'all got here. Some of y'all are sexually boring. You're no longer pleasing your spouse. Yeah, let's be bold about this. Because this is actually a huge issue for a lot of married couples. Some of, and I want to be careful when I talk about this because I know some of us come from sexually traumatic experiences. So when it comes to sex, you need to make sure that there's mutual respect, that there's no shame involved. Your spouse shouldn't have to do anything sexually that causes them shame, guilt, or condemnation. But I think you need to begin to have conversations around sexuality. Get yourself a sex therapist. Learn how to have sex differently. We're not at the place in our church yet where we can have marriage conferences. But I promise you, when we have marriage conferences, we're going to have whole talks on how to have different positions. Okay. Um, and in case you don't like it, here's how God, here's what God thinks. Song of Solomon. Now, I know that, that it is a metaphor for a lot of intimate relationship with the Lord, but it's very sexual language. God is not ashamed of sex, and we got to wipe away the shame. Married people, start having conversations with each other about what you like. What you don't like. This, y'all look so uncomfortable. It's like start having conversations about what worked and what didn't work. Sex is awesome in marriage. Learn how to spice it up, not only in your sexual life, but also in what you do. I, I, I met this lady, and we were talking, and I got to meet her husband, and she seemed like such an awesome woman. And so I looked at her husband, and I said, man, you got real lucky. He goes, yeah, I got real lucky. I said, how long have you guys been married? He's like, 20 years, I think it was. I said, you've been married to the same woman for 20 years. He goes, absolutely not. She changes every couple of years. She's growing. She's changing. Our dynamic is changing. Some of you boring married couples have been the same for the last 20 years. And it's like, we got to learn how to be different. Learn how to dress different. Learn how to, and, and here's the other thing. The book of Ephesians talks about our bodies not just belonging to ourselves when we're married. It now belongs to our partner. Ooh. It says stuff like when you're fasting, withhold from sex unless your partner is unable to do so. Like your bodies belong to each other. And so I want to give you permission, you married couples, look at me in my good eye, just this one right here. I want to give you permission to have conversations around sex, around spicing up your whole lifestyle, about changing things. There are things that you don't know that your your spouse wants to tell you, but there hasn't been ground for those conversations to take place. And I believe that that honors God. I think Christians ought to have better sex in the world. Our God created it. All right, let me finish with this. 
So he, hop on the keys, don't play yet, but just chill there for a second. Let me, and I'm going to race through these, and these are kind of random thoughts. So you just hang with me, but take good notes. We'll talk about family. And this is how I'm going to land. Give me five more minutes, and we'll land this plane. Are you catching anything tonight? Okay, you're with me, right? Y'all online, y'all catching something? Mm-hmm. By faith, I'm believe you're saying yes. Here's the order of relationship as it concerns your family. It's God, then family, then others. I say this because I've watched so many people, pastors included, who have put family, or excuse me, who have put um, others before family, ministry before family. And so, you know, the whole church is saved, but your kids aren't. Because they saw you preaching to the nations, but you didn't come home and have dinner with them. You got to learn how to have, put, put it in right order. I believe this is how God is honored, that we put God first, we put family second, and then everything else comes after that. The other way I want to say it is that it cannot be family first and then God second. This is where the idolization of family comes in. And some of you idolize family. Family is everything, and it's not supposed to. Some of you have unhealthy ties because of that mindset to your family. You're restricted. But I believe one of the things that God wants to do in being honored and being first in your life is he wants to be first even above your family. And in case you're getting, well, no, no, here's what God said. I didn't come for unity. This is scripture. He said, I came to set mother against son-in-law. I came to set brother against sister. I'll give you another scripture in a moment where Jesus actually says that you can actually pick your family. I know we say blood is thicker than water. I thank Jesus for his blood. So you make sure that your family is not an idol, that God is first, even in your family. Number two, parents of adult children, hear me, parent differently when they become adults. A lot of you are parenting your 28-year-old like you parented them when they were 16. And I know because I have to counsel them. And what you don't understand is that you are stunting their growth and their spirituality. And for the, and let me talk real strong. I'm going to use my strong voice because I see this happen too often. For those of you parents who are using manipulation, shame, and guilt to get your kids to do things that you want them to do, you're out of order. No, come on. You better amen me. You are out of order if you are using shame and guilt, even if you're trying to get them to do something that God wants them to do. God doesn't use shame to motivate people. And some of you don't know this, but some of you parents have the spirit of Jezebel on you. You know how you know you have the spirit of Jezebel? Well, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to stop providing for you. (sighs) If you want to know more about that, I preached a message last year called the spirit of Jezebel. Go and take a look. I'm going to say this again, and I know I made this point in an earlier passage, but learn how to guard your heart. Learn how to guard your heart. I say that to parents in their relationship with their children, because sometimes your children are going to hurt you. Sometimes they're going to dishonor you. You have to learn how to guard your heart so that you can love them in spite of. The other way is true as well. Some of you, it's like your parents have this this hold on you that just can't be broken, but I need you to learn how to guard your heart even against the people that you love because there are some well-intentioned people who are trying to get you to go a different way than what God has you to go. And sometimes they're called mom and dad. Sometimes they're called brother and sister. But you have to guard your heart and practice boundaries. Look at this point. You are more than where you come from. You are not the end result or the totality of your family history. 
And I say that because I believe one way that you can honor God in your family is you can break generational curses. Break generational, break generational curses of poverty. Break generational curses of sin and lust. Break gener- you know why I was born? I was born to break poverty in my family. I was born to break heathenism in my family. I was born to break these things in my family. That's the way you put God first in your family. Next, learn how to show grace. Your family's not perfect. And you know how I know? Because you're part of your family. Learn how to show grace. And isn't it easy to show grace to everybody else, but come back home and just give everybody the finger? How often do we give the worst of ourselves to the closest to the ones we love? Oh, to the rest of the world, we come to church Sunday morning. Hey, everybody, glory. We go from glory. Yeah, praise the Lord. We come back home. It's like, leave me alone. I ain't got no whatever. And we've exhausted all of our bandwidth and spiritual and emotional energy in other people, and our family gets none of it. Your, your partner gets none of it. You, you expend all your energy at work. You come back home. Your spouse gets nothing from you. All right. Look at Matthew chapter 12. And you can start playing for me, uh, Sohi. This will make this word go down a little easier. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 through 50. And I'm finishing up here. Verse 46, as Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. Verse 48, Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? 49, then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mothers and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Why do I say this? I want to give you freedom to not obey those that you're closely connected to so that you can obey God. Now, I'm not giving you permission to be a rebel, but I've seen this happen. I've been a pastor long enough to watch parents who, with a good heart, because they're afraid of their kids not having enough, I need you to be an engineer, I need you to be a doctor, I need you to be a lawyer, but God's called you to be a missionary. So whose will do you, because the Bible does say honor your father and mother. Yeah, it says honor them. And there's a way that you can honor them and still obey God. And sometimes it doesn't feel like honor. It doesn't look like honor. But honor is a condition of the heart. And I say this because I'm watching so many people mess up years of their life, being held down and boggled down, tormented even, by familiar relationships, family relationships. Well, I got to do this because this is my family. Here's what Jesus was doing. He was teaching, and I know this isn't an exciting message where we're shouting and dancing, but I hope you capture this because this is going to set straight a lot of things in your life. Jesus was teaching, and his earthly family was there, and Jesus did not stop doing what his father wanted him to do just to appease his mother and brother. How disrespectful, except for he's the savior of the world. And there's a principle that he's teaching there. Look at me. Some of you feel powerless, and that's why it is so hard to build relationships. You feel powerless to choose. You feel powerless to pick. Psalm 68, verse 6, and here's where I'm finished. This is one of the scriptures we founded our church on. Let me see if I can sit down in these skinny jeans and still look somewhat flattering. Um, 
Psalm 68, verse 6, it says he takes the lonely and he sets them in families. Based on that scripture we just read in Matthew, there seems to be this hierarchy in relationships that your spiritual family or the family that you choose seems to take prevalence over your earthly family. Now, I'm not trying to make a competition out of this. I'm not saying that, you know, you got to be over, because that's how cults are started. Like, don't hang out with your family. Just hang out with your church. That's it. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. But some of you, not all of you, some of you come from great homes, and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor Dale. I get <laughs> Kelly, it's like, I raised it right, you know. But many of us come from toxic home lives, toxic family lives, and we've been so bound to them. Here's what God says. I, I had a young man come to me. He was engage or getting ready to engage this girl and she's beautiful young lady and her parents didn't want her to marry him I said why I said he's a pastor he's good looking he's a Christian great head on his shoulder man he's man if you don't marry I'm gonna find somebody in my church to marry him right he said well my parents don't want me to marry him because his sister is mentally I don't know forgive me for not saying it right if I mess up here but she's uh mentally disabled is that okay <laughs> I check in, it's my Gen Z right here. I check in. Uh, she's mentally handicapped, and because of that, my mom doesn't want me to marry his family. So, Pastor Doe, what do I do? Do I obey my parents? Because I do feel like this relationship is what honors God. I said, you obey your parents up until the point it causes you to disobey the Lord. One more time. You obey your parents until the point it begins to dishonor the Lord. Some of your parents, and I need to say this, they don't have bad hearts. They have good hearts. Some of your family members, it might be an uncle or a cousin, they have great hearts. They just are wrong. And I want to give you permission because Jesus did it. He said, man, they're trying to distract me from what God's called me to do in this moment. My mother and brother are the ones who do the will of my father. And I want to give you permission because I come from that home. Some of you know my story. I was raised as an orphan, adopted as a teenager. And I didn't have a good home life. My grandmother was incredibly toxic who raised me. My sister now is mentally incapacitated, can't really speak. My brother is bipolar, schizophrenic, and my other sister is manic depressed with uh, schizophrenia and some other issues. It's like, I don't have the best home life. So do I sit around and cry about it and weep about it? No, I've prayed and I've got faith that God's going to heal them and deliver them. But I'm also going to build my family. I'm going to choose my family. That's why Collide was birthed. It wasn't birthed just so that we can have encounters with God, so that we can have encounters with each other. Some of you don't see Collide as a resource for relationships in a new family, but you need to begin to see it. How do I do that? Like I said, in building friendships. Learn how to show up, learn how to reach out, learn how to be present. I'm having small group at my house this Thursday. Even if it's an hour drive away, it's worth it. Come and hang out. What's for just a small group? I know it feels like just a small group. You know, I had the vanilla sky jamba juice a second ago, and when I ate it, I was like, I don't feel nothing. <laughs> it's like, that didn't do nothing for me. I ain't full. I'm still starving, all that kind of stuff. But what I do know is that the nutrients are good for my body. And it's going to do something in the long run. These little moments that God provides for you to go out to coffee with somebody or to show up to a small group or to come to morning prayer. I loved seeing Connie, who's kind of new to our family, come into morning prayer. It's like those moments don't feel like much, but they add nutrients to your spiritual life. Does that make sense? Stand with me, or you stand and I'll sit. <laughs> I've been standing all day. I hope this word blessed you. I really sat and thought about it for a second because I want us to be a people who put God, who put God first 
in our dating relationships, romantic relationships, our marriages, our relationships with our parents, in every relationship we have. I want us to make sure that God is primary in all those relationships. So let me ask you for a second. If you were to take inventory of all of your relationships in this moment, in this season, how much can you say that God is first? Can you just close your eyes for a second because I really want you to think about that for a moment. Keep playing for me, Sohi. Sounds so great. But can you take a moment and think about the relationships, especially the ones that are closest and most meaningful to you? Are they God-honoring? Do they put God first? Is God the primary focus in your heart as it concerns these relationships? If they're unbelievers, are you looking for opportunities to bring them to Jesus? If they're believers, are you encouraging them and iron sharpens iron? Take about 30 seconds, and I want you to take inventory of relationships, to be honest. Is God first in my relationships in my life? Jesus. Now, if there's some areas, some people that you need to put God first in those relationships, will you just, I'm not going to call you to the front, but will you put your hand over your heart? I want to pray for you. Some of you might say, man, Pastor Dell, you, you hit on so much stuff and there's so much I need to work on. It is only by his grace. So I want to pray for you that God will give you the wisdom and knowledge for building the kind of relationships that honor him and put him first. God, I pray for every person in this room. I pray that you would empower them to put you first in every relationship in their life. God, for the mom who's afraid to let go, because what if they make a mistake? God, would you cause her heart to trust you again? For the child that's trying to figure out, how do I please and honor God and still make my parents happy? God, would you begin to speak wisdom into that situation? To those who are dating right now, would you give wisdom, God? I pray not one person would settle. Lord, don't let one, come on, agree with me. Not one person would settle in Jesus' name. I pray that they'll wait for the chosen one that God has for them, that man or that woman of God. God, I pray for married couples. I pray for marriages that are on the rocks right now, marriages that are, are kind of frail right now. Holy Spirit, I pray, bring restoration to those marriages, God. I know, Lord, you hate divorce, and there's grace for divorce, but I pray if you are able to restore any broken marriages in our family, would you restore those broken marriages in Jesus' name? God, I pray for forgiveness to run rampant around our relationships, God. God, I pray for employees and employers. I pray for God-honoring and God-fearing bosses, bosses that don't torment their employees, employees that don't do the minimum. I pray that, God, we will honor you in every relationship in our lives that will place you first. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this house, and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Let's give the Lord a big hand clap of praise. Come on. Hey, family, before I, I kind of close this, and, and dismiss this. I want to encourage you. I know we're not hanging out, eating, or maybe some folks are uh, after service. I want to encourage you to lean in a little bit. Lean into relationships. Not just here in this house. It, it, now, we create a space so that it's a little easier to lean into relationships in this house. It's not awkward for you to ask Lena out for lunch or, you know, ask me out for coffee after the fast. I really want coffee. So please ask me for coffee. Um, it's not a weird thing. I, I, I always pick on him, but Calvin is like... The, I, I told him he's starting to, I think he's doing it for free food, but uh, Calvin is quick to ask everybody for dinner and ask him out to hang out. And it's so cool to see and, and to watch how he's growing and developing. How I, I see, and I know I'm picking on you, Calvin, and I know you don't like the attention, but Calvin, I because I, I know his peers. He is 
growing above his peers. I'm not trying to compare, but there's something powerful to that because he's leaning in. I want to encourage you, take a risk. Lean in a little bit more. This Thursday, we're going to have a small group at my house. If you're able to, we're mostly going to be praying for each other and all that stuff. I know if you don't feel comfortable because of Omicron and all that stuff, it's totally fine. Hey, starting next week, we're going to get a little more strict for a minute with uh, the whole virus. We're going to go back to mask mandates and all that kind of stuff uh, just so that people feel safer, might space out a little bit more. Um, so just be prepared for that. And hey, I want to encourage you, invite some folks to church. If you love your church, if you love your pastor and the people that are here, let's grow this family. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this house. I thank you for this word. For wor Lord, I thank you for Sohi. Would you just stretch your hands over to Sohi? Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in her life. I thank you for the growth that's taken place. And Sohi, the Lord just wants you to know you're not alone. 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 And Sohi, I just feel like tonight the word for you is that God is concerned about everything that you're concerned about. That he has a heart for the things that you have a heart for. It's like, Lord, are you concerned about the things that stress me out? Lord is concerned with everything that you're concerned about. So, so he, we, come on, out, out loud, we bless you in Jesus' name. We bless you with the peace and grace of God in this season. And God, I pray for our family, pray for our church, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will keep us, protect us, and even during this time of consecration and fast, take us deeper in your word, deeper into your presence and prayer. But God, we want to know you more. We want to know your heart, your will. So I pray for grace for those who are struggling, who might be eating chocolate chip cookie dough in the middle of the night. Lord, give grace, Lord, give grace. And we thank you, God, that the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. Love you, family.